Just to uh, remind everybody, we put some journals on the table back there. There are some blank journals on the right, some lined journals on the left. If you are a note taker and you want to put down Bible references and things like that, uh, feel free. That's for you. If you want to draw things, if you want to write poetry, uh, whatever you want, feel free to do that. Um, I'd love for you to take the opportunity. We're going to be going through a series in Galatians for the next couple months, and so it'd be a good opportunity for you to sort of track along and document any of your thoughts that come up. Uh, along the way. So here's a question. Have you ever gotten good news that wasn't really good news? It was like fake good news. You ever had this happen? When we first moved here, uh, I got this giant mailer that came in the mail one day and it was huge. It was like a piece of cardboard, um, like cardstock, really thick, had scratch off sections, had like bingo one, it had a red blinking light on it. Like I can only imagine this thing had to have been like $5 a piece to send out to whom, I don't know how many thousands of people around the valley. And it was proclaiming that like you could win a car, but everybody was guaranteed a television or something. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is good news. Like, this is pretty cool. Like, we could use a new TV for the basement. Like, whatever. Like, I'll sign up for this. I'll, I'll go and listen to some spiel if I have to. Whatever. That's fine. And, uh, but then when you like got into it and started reading it, it was like you'd like sign your life away to the car dealership. It was like this spiel that you had to go and listen to for like hours on end, and it was like not necessarily guaranteed. It was like all this fine print. It was good news, but not really, all right? It was like trick good news. It wasn't, there were all these strings attached to it, and it wasn't really all that good of a news. This series that we're going through in Galatians called One Gospel is sort of diving into this exact thing, that the, that the Galatian churches that, that Paul had planted on his first missionary journey, uh, that they were being deceived into buying into what they were thinking was good news, but it wasn't actually fully good news. It was a perverted gospel, as Paul calls it, and it was not good for them, and it was not going to lead to full life. If you remember these churches, Paul had planted them on his first missionary journey to answer a question that Noah had asked last week. Um, the best scholars can guess is that it was about a one-year journey. Uh, around Turkey and around uh, uh, Cyprus and, and, and starting these, these churches with Barnabas. And he had started these, these, church, these house churches as they were, more congregations, gatherings of people in the area of Turkey. And, and Paul had gotten wind that they were believing in something other than the gospel, so he wrote them this letter. That's sort of the synopsis of last week. And uh, so what I want to do today is pick up in Galatians 1. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn there uh, on your phone, tablet, whatever you got there. And I'm going to read the first nine verses. Um, and uh, I, I have the NIV Bible. It, to me, this is just a pretty reliable, solid translation. If you read from something else, the word's going to be a little bit different. Um, but basically, this is what Paul says here in sort of his introduction to the Galatian church. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me. Uh, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. 
As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned or kicked out or deserted or left behind. He's coming in hot here because he's mad about these gospel, these false gospels that are starting to take root in the Galatian churches. And so they, they have compromised the gospel, as it were. They're starting to follow a compromised gospel, something that has been watered down or perverted in some way, and Paul is going to call them through the course of this letter back to the real good news, the real gospel. What I want to remind us of is what I talked about last week, and I'll keep bringing it up in this series, is that Paul is writing this letter to existing Christ followers, okay? Existing Christians. He's writing this letter to them, and they are already believers. And anybody with any sense in studying this would realize that the outside people that were coming in and perverting the gospel were not Jewish people, because the Jews wouldn't have associated with these Gentiles, This is actual other Christians coming in and saying, okay, you've believed this thing about Jesus, that's great. Now you need to add in these other things. And they start watering down the gospel, perverting the gospel, confusing the gospel, and leading the Galatians astray. So the reason this is important to me is that if if these are Christians who are being led astray by other Christians, we too are Christians who could be led astray by other Christians, right? And so this word is just as much for us as it is for the Galatian churches, because we can be thrown into confusion and believe another gospel, which is no gospel at all. So I want to look at four things today, just briefly through each one. I'm sort of going through verse by verse. I want to look at Paul's response, Paul's response to the Christians there and to the people who were uh, bringing in these other gospels, these bad gospelers. I want to look at God's calling for the Galatians. I want to look at and try to answer a little bit of Kelsey's question from last week of what are the non-gospels? What are these other versions of the gospel that have come in? And then I want to look at what is the real good news, all right? Paul's response, God's calling, non-gospels, the real gospel. So look at verse 6 with me. Verse 6, and we're kind of bounce, bounce around with verse 6 and verse 9. Paul says this. This is his response. He says, I'm astonished. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you. Now, if you read other letters of Paul's, maybe they're written later, maybe this is his earliest letter, and, and he doesn't butter them up with something nice first before he gets into the meat of his letter, but he's, he's coming on strong here. But this, this idea of him saying, I am astonished, is, is not shame or, or anger towards them or, um, you know, condemning them. He's just saying, like, I'm amazed. I'm astonished that, that you're so quickly walking away from, from the God who called you. And, and if you look at verse 9, this is where he saves his wrath for. He says, if we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. This is where his anger is coming in. This is where his wrath is coming in, is towards these people who were bringing about this false gospel, this this untruthful thing that they're talking to them about. And I I just want to read something here. Martin Luther, in his commentary on Galatians, he points out something that I think is is important about Paul and important about us as Christ followers when we see non-gospel things happening. Listen to what he says. Here Paul is mindful of his own rule, which he gives in Galatians 6.1, where he says this, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. 
but watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. We too must follow this example, showing the same feeling for those who are misled as parents have towards their children. They should see our fatherly and motherly affection toward them and know that we do not seek their destruction, but their welfare. As for the devil and his ministers, the authors, like Luther always uses this word. He always calls things like the devil. This is the devil at work here. He says, as for the devil and his ministers, the authors of false doctrine and these other beliefs, against them we ought to follow the apostles' example and be impatient, proud, and sharp, detesting and condemning their tricks and deceits with as much severity as we can. Similarly, parents, when their child is bitten by a dog, will chase the dog, but sympathize with and comfort the child. So here's what Luther's saying is Paul is doing here. He's saying Paul is not being angry at the child for being bitten by the dog. He's saying the job is actually to chase the dog off. Do you understand this? So Paul is trying to comfort his people and say, look, I'm so astonished that you would not believe this. And then he starts condemning the people who were bringing in false doctrine, who were bringing in bad gospel teaching. And I would say, friends, this is what can be true of us as well, that, that when we see people who are believing things other than the gospel, it's not our job to condemn them and say, you stupid person, you idiot, you, why would you? We come to them and say, hey, here's really what the gospel is, and we combat the enemy. We combat the devil. We combat whatever you want to call it that is bringing about this false gospel and try to bring truth to the situation so that gently, so that someone can believe the gospel. I love Paul's example in this and his response. But if you look at the, the end of that verse in verse 6, what is he saying they're actually deserting? He says they're deserting the one who called them, right? I'm astonished you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He's astonished that they're deserting God. He's saying God is the one who called you, God is the one who brought you into this gospel truth. God is the one who brought you into this full life in Jesus. You're actually deserting him. This isn't just a worldview that maybe you're shifting on. This is actually God that you are deserting. This is nothing that, that you've done. This isn't anything that you earned or you can earn. You're deserting God. He called you. He loves you. He is for you. He wants you to believe this and experience the full life. And now you're deserting him. If you want to write some notes about this, First Corinthians 1, 26 says this, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. He's like, think of what you used to be. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, meaning you weren't that special, and God called you anyway. But God shows the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God shows the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He shows the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him, before God. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord." Paul's saying, you did not just choose into this. 
This isn't just like some party that you decided to be a part of. This is God himself called you when you were nothing, when you weren't special, when you were broken, when you were sinful, when you were falling apart, when you were worshiping other things. He called you, and now he makes you special. Now he gives you full life. Don't desert that. Don't desert that. Don't walk away from this God who is for you. But instead, he says, desert those false preachers who are bringing in these other gospels. Walk away from them. That's who you should be running away from. These people are trying to add things to the gospel. But don't desert the one who loves you, the one who is for you, the one who has brought you freedom and love and full life. Desert these non-gospels. Desert these other things that are corrupting and perverting the gospel. So verse 7, he starts saying, to answer some of Kelsey's questions from last week, that, that the people are being thrown into confusion by these other gospels, these other sources of, quote-unquote, good news, which he says is not really good news at all. And he says they're perverting the gospel of Christ. This, this, the idea here is that they're taking something good and twisting it into something bad something that it shouldn't be. This is the idea of perversion, is taking something that God has given us as good and making it something that it shouldn't be. And so there's a bit of truth in it, right? There's still a bit of the remnant of goodness in it. They're probably still talking about Jesus. They're still talking about the gospel that maybe even Paul preached, but then they're perverting it. They're twisting it. And so again, this is Christ followers being led astray by Christ followers by adding to the gospel, by perverting it and making it something that it's not. Because, friends, at the core, the gospel is actually incredibly uncomplicated and incredibly simple. And we would say simple to believe, but not necessarily simple to keep adhering to, right? To keep believing. So this is why we need the body of believers in Scripture, God speaking in His Spirit, to keep walking in the gospel. But it's incredibly simple at its core, Incredibly simple and uncomplicated. So, what are, what are non-gospels, right? What are, what are ways that, that other things are, are, are coming in and corrupting and, and perverting the gospel? Well, here's what I think. In this situation that the Galatians were in, other Christians were coming in and saying, okay, it's great. This is great that you're believing about Jesus. That's awesome. But if you want to actually be really good Christians then you would start doing the things that the Jews had done for thousands of years. Then you would have good standing with God. If you would just do all of these things, then you would really be the people of God. Then you would really have the approval of God. And so do you hear it? There's a, there's a perversion in there. It's like Jesus and Jesus plus these other things. Then you would have right standing with God. And so now I, I really doubt that anyone in this room has had somebody approach them and say, you need to be circumcised so you can really be in right standing with Jesus. Anybody have that happen? No? Okay. All right. I didn't think so. You can laugh about that. Okay. So, but no one's come to you and probably said, you need to do all of these other things of, of religiosity that the Jews did so that you can be accepted before God, so that you can be fully Christians, so you can really be the people of God, Jesus plus these other things. Maybe you've had, maybe you've had that experience. 
So what does it look like for us, though, to be approached with non-gospel, Jesus plus something else? Well, to me, there's sort of two categories. The first, I would say, is me-centered legalism, me-centered self-righteousness. And, and we talk about this a lot, but like some real examples of this would be, okay, you're a Christian, that's great, but on top of that, you need now to pick better people to hang out with. You can't hang out with those people anymore, right? You can't go and party with those people anymore because they're bad people. They're not Jesus followers. You can't go and be with them. This is what Jesus was accused of all the time, right? He's a glutton. He's a drunkard because he's hanging out with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. And the people are saying, yeah, you can't do that. You can't do that. And it's sort of this me-centered legalism that starts to come about that says, yeah, you believe in Jesus. Now, here's this list of things you can't do. You're not allowed to go and do that, and it's based on what I am able to do to secure my own righteousness. Or another very common example, okay, now that you're a Christ follower, you need to vote a certain way. Either way, left or right, right? It's like, well, you're a Christian. If you're a good Christian, then you will vote Democrat because of X, Y, and Z. Or if you're a Jesus follower, you would vote Republican because of X, Y, and Z. It's Jesus plus these other things. God would really be pleased with you then if you would do this. It's Jesus and additionally, these things. Friends, it's a me-centered self-righteousness that says, all right, Jesus, thank you for what you've done. I'm now going to tack on these things as well so that I really have good standing with God. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know what? I got to go to church all the time. I got to give a certain amount of money. I got to be baptized in a certain way. I got to bring my kids through all these special classes. I got to observe all these special holidays. I got to wear only these right clothes. Then God will be happy with me. It's me centered legalism. It's me centered self righteousness that says, I can do it. I can make God happy with me. Thanks, Jesus. I'm now going to take it from here. Right? That's a little bit of what's happening in this legalism. But, the opposite side of this that regularly happens in the church is me-centered license that says, I'm a Jesus follower. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven someday. Now I can do whatever I want. Now I've got total freedom. I can, Jim talks about freedom. I can do whatever I want. Now nothing applies. It doesn't really matter anymore. I'm forgiven. I'm going to heaven someday. And it's this total me-centered license that comes about to go and do whatever we want. So the flip side of legalism would be, I can hang out with whomever I want. I can go and drink and party and be with whoever I want, right? I'm saved. I'm going to heaven someday. What do I care? It's fine. Jesus loves me. It's great. I can vote however I want. I don't have to vote. I can do it. Whatever. It doesn't matter. No consequences at all. We're all just going to fly out of here and go to heaven someday. So who cares? Jesus loves me. And it's this me-centered license that says, because of the gospel, I can now do whatever I want. There are no consequences. It doesn't matter. What I would argue is that the license, the legalism, both are me-centered, a me-centered righteousness, a me-centered works that leads to empty life. It doesn't lead to the full life that Jesus promised in John 10, that he would give us life and life to the full. There's an author and a, and a pastor, maybe you guys have heard of him before, his name's J.D. Greer, and one of the core values, I love it, that he has at his church is that the gospel is not just the diving board into the pool. The gospel is the diving board and the pool that we swim in. 
You understand that concept? That, that the gospel is not just my ticket into the party someday, it is the party itself. So legalism would be, okay, I, I've jumped off the diving board, thank you, Jesus, and now I'm going to get out of the pool and I'm going to work really hard to achieve this goodness that you've given me. I'm not going to swim in the gospel. The party is, thank you, Jesus, I'm going to jump off the diving board, now I'm going to go do whatever I want. I'm not going to stay in this pool anymore. Someday I'll get to go back into it when I go to heaven, and that'll be great. See, what the gospel is, is Jesus only, and the gospel says it's the diving board into the pool that we then swim in that that we stay in the finished work of Jesus, that we stay in the fact that He has accomplished everything, and now we have an identity that comes from that. And so what ends up happening is that when we believe this, it leads to an identity that says, yes, Jesus has finished the work. I don't need to adhere to all of these rules and regulations to get God to love me. He has already proven it through Jesus. I'm a child of God, I'm a son of God, I'm a daughter of God, I have full life in the kingdom now and forever. But what that identity then leads to is behavior. And this is where the license part of it starts to be dealt with, is that because of Jesus, because I'm in the gospel, I now get to live a certain way. I get to live a God-honoring way. Not because I need to earn anything, but because I've been purchased and thrown into the pool, into the deep end in the gospel, and now I get to live with Jesus, which means maybe I don't hang out with certain people anymore. Maybe that's not good for me and I need to have some boundaries there. Okay. Or maybe it means I can go bear witness to these people and so I can go and be witness to them and bear the gospel to them. But it's not legalism or license just to do whatever we want or demand that we have to do a certain things. It's in response to who we are and our identity as Christ followers. It's not just the diving board to go to heaven someday. It's the party. It's the pool now that we swim in. It's this belief that leads to identity, which leads to behavior. It's the idea of liberty. It's not license. It's not legalism. It's liberty. It's that we have been set free from slavery to sin. We've been set free from the death that we naturally incur, incur, but also the wrath that we deserve. We've been set free from that into the full life that we now get to live. This is the definition of liberty. We have perverted the idea of liberty in this country to say that we've been set free from whatever, tyranny, and now we can do whatever we want, right? This is how it's been redefined in our country, but it's really supposed to be that we've been set free from this to now be slaves to righteousness, slaves to Jesus, to be in His family, to have an identity that flows from that and comes out in the ways that we live 1 Corinthians 15, Paul lays out what is the gospel, what is the, the, the simplicity of the gospel that leads to this liberty. If you want to write this down, you can write down 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 11, and I don't know, write just 15. It's a great chapter. You can read the whole thing this week. Listen to the simplicity of this. He says, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand, Jesus plus nothing. He says, by this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, meaning 
According to the Scriptures, all of Israel's waiting and hopes had been fulfilled in Jesus, according to Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, which we're going to look at next week, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle uh, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed, that Jesus was born according to scriptures, that he died according to scriptures, that he was raised to new life according to the scriptures for the forgiveness of our sins, that we could be made right with God. And then he goes on to expound upon the fact that because he has been raised from the dead, we now have proof that he is the risen Lord, that he's the king of the earth, and that we are in him, that the work is finished, that we no longer need to strive to please God by all of our hard work, by all of our doing, by all of our legalism, and that we don't just get to go do whatever we want, we now get to live in the liberty of that king that he has earned for us as children of God. And what Paul says at the end of Galatians 5, we sang about it, is that you have been set free. Friends, I don't think we can even begin to grasp how important this was for Paul, that we have been set free free to enjoy freedom in Jesus, the full life. It's not a life of legalism and rules and regulations. It's meant to be the full life that Adam and Eve had in the garden, the goodness of that, the freedom of that, the joy of that. But as we'll see in Galatians 5, it's not just a a life of license, that now I get to go do whatever I want. It's a life of love because of the gospel at work in us we now have the fruit of the Spirit, that we then live a life of gentleness and kindness and self-control. See, the gospel belief leads to our identity, which leads to behavior. So, friends, if there's one thing I know Paul wants us to hear and that I want you to hear is that the gospel is not just the diving board. It is the pool that we swim in. It is where our life has come from to be saved and will continue to be saved daily by resting in it, by believing it. So when you're not believing it in yourself, allow others to maybe speak truth over you. When you see someone else not living it, we don't condemn, we speak the truth of the gospel to them, reminding them of their identity, and that we can live a life of freedom and liberty in the gospel. Would you keep reading this? Would you keep diving into this? Next week, we're going to look at at Paul's life and his unique calling and the reason he was able to preach this. I would encourage you to to journal this week, to read the head, to pray through this, ask Jesus to speak to you, and continue to reveal to you where maybe you are adding things to the gospel, where maybe someone has told you to add things to the gospel, and come back to the simplicity of 1 Corinthians 15. Would you do that with me? Let's pray.